we're in a series, for those of you that are maybe joining us for the very first time, we're in a series from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, to me, is one of the most interesting books in the Bible. It's um, the book that Jesus quoted from most in the New Testament. It is a book that has a lot of meaning for us when it comes to prophecy. It also has a lot of meaning for us as we come to understand God's plan for the church today as well. Last week, we started a message called Believe. We're in Zechariah chapter 8. There's been a series of visions that we've looked at, and I would encourage you to go back and look at those, listen or watch those other messages on our website. You don't need to have watched those to, to follow along with the message tonight. But what we're going to do is I'm going to go through very quickly for those of you that weren't here and you're using the app online, it's give you the fill-ins and I'll make a couple of comments just about each point. But we're going to deal primarily with what we call growth work at Woodland. How do we apply this? And then those of us that are here at the church, we'll have about a half an hour that we do a Q&A afterwards. And um, so let me encourage you to come join us here on Wednesday nights so that you can be a part of that Q&A as well. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, we love you so very much, and we thank you for your amazing grace and your goodness to us, and we ask you, Lord, to accept our thanksgiving for the word of the Lord. God, you've not given us the word of God, the Bible, just to be idly curious about who you are and about how the world works, but you've given it to us as a love letter to show us your love for us, that we were created in your image. And that, Lord, our fullest joy is always going to come from knowing you and serving you. So I ask you tonight, Lord, especially as we talk about faith, believe that, Lord, you will help us as we walk through this to grow together, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, let me just read to you tonight, and um, Keith has been reading for us, but he is home recovering from COVID. We've got quite a few people out with COVID right now, so let's keep them all in prayer. We're glad you're back, and uh, having done that, I've prayed with several people already today. Zechariah chapter 8, if you want to follow along in your notes. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. Now, what had happened, if you remember chapter 7, the, the leaders, the elders of Judah had come and said, do we need to continue these fasts that we were doing? There were four fasts that they had added not that God had called them to do, but they fasted in response. And we talked a little bit last week how that fasting, there's only one fast that's called for in the Old Testament. But fasting is not only a spiritual discipline, but fasting is how we respond to certain events. For instance, if you had a death in your family, yesterday I did a funeral. And I can tell you the widow did not feel like eating. Some of you understand that. They're here tonight. Uh, there are times that maybe when there's someone in your family, your child or your daughter or son is sick and you just, you don't feel like eating. Fasting is that natural response. For most of us here at Woodland, when Ukraine was invaded by Russia and we saw those first horrible pictures of those children that were being killed, we just literally had to fast and go to the Lord in prayer because we were sorrowful. So fasting is a response that Jesus said that his people would do but these were not fasts that God said we legalistically had to do. There's a way to fast that's pleasing to the Lord. They had added four fasts. There was nothing wrong with those fasts. They were good fasts. There were four different reasons that we've talked about. But then God gives them a message in response to that. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong 
and I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. Now, isn't that a word you want to hear from the Lord? And that's a word for the church tonight as well. And now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. And the streets of the cities will be filled with boys and girls at play. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I was just recently talking to Becky about something that burden that I have for our community. And I said, you know, I just haven't seen that happen yet in our community. And my wife looked at me. She was sitting on the sofa across the room from me. And she said these words, honey, it's not over yet. And those words just kind of sparked faith in my life. It's not over. Never give up on what, because when you pray in something that you know is according to the will of God, remember this, it may seem impossible to you, but it's not impossible for God. The Lord goes on to say in that message, I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. And among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. In other words, just like God wants your life to be, he was going to make Israel a sign or a symbol, but he would also make them a source of blessing. That's what I mean when I say, Lord, I thank you that we're not only a house of prayer, but we're a house of bread here at Woodland as well. So don't be afraid. Be strong. Get on with rebuilding the temple. But now I am determined to bless Jerusalem. Circle that in your outline. I am determined. I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah, so don't be afraid. But this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all those things, says the Lord. And here's another message that came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The traditional fast and times of mourning you have kept in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and celebration for the people of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. Underline that phrase, love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord of Heaven's armies and to ask for His blessings. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, ten men from, ten, or from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew, and they will say, Please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Family, that's my prayer for all of us. That that's not just a prayer for Jewish people. That's my prayer for all of us, that we will be the kind of people that others will want to walk with because they know that God is with us. Well, last week we began the message by saying God dwells with those who love the elderly and the children. Jesus says if you welcome a child in his name, you're welcoming him. 
So anytime you welcome a child, anytime you welcome a teenager, you're welcoming Christ. People who say to me, I don't like kids, I don't want kids around me, you wouldn't like Jesus very much because Jesus really liked kids a lot. Sometimes I've seen old hardened dads and moms that just, you know, they became grandparents and then their hearts melted. I used to go to a nursing home and I would speak and there and work with those elderly people when I was younger, long before I moved up here. And I would always hear these grumpy things about children. And then I would see grandchildren come and I'd see those grumpy elderly people get all soft and mellow because it's all the difference in the world when they're your children. Listen to me. They're our children because they're Jesus' children. And if we can have influence in their life, the Bible says, I'm returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. We'll say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, first of all, where God dwells, the elderly are safe to walk, and they're safe to sit, even if they need canes for stability. You know when you see an elderly person. We have some who come to our church on Sunday morning. They're coming in with their walkers. They're coming in with their canes. But this is a safe place. Somebody told me just today, said, Pastor, Woodland for me is a safe place. It's a place where I know I'm loved and I'm accepted. And they've not known that outside of Woodland. Someone else told me today, said, you know, Pastor, I, I haven't been able to come to church for this long. And he's, I miss the family because I feel so loved. For, they're, they're alone, but they feel so loved in our church. Our church should always be a place where even the elderly are valued and treasured. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. Whenever you read in the paper or you watch a YouTube video about an elderly person being kicked or abused or beat up or robbed, you know that there is a city right there that has lost the touch of God upon its life. And rather than just try to get somebody off and say we shouldn't prosecute those people when they beat up the elderly, we should respond and say, no, this needs to be taken care of. This justice needs to be gotten. We need to say to the community, this is not acceptable. Let me give you an example. Years ago, somebody said to me, said, you know, when the Bible says if a child is disrespectful to his parents and then he doesn't listen to the elders of the city, you should stone him to death. I go, well, aren't you glad we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore? And they, and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, that's one of the reasons I don't like the Old Testament. And I said, well, please don't feel that way because the Old Testament shows us what God is like, but the Old Testament also shows us what God's will for our lives is like. And the fact that you have a rebellious teenager that his parents aren't disciplining him and the fact that he's gone through maybe the, uh, the synagogue and they couldn't discipline him. In fact, that he's bought to come before the city elders, that would be like going before the judge and the courts. And the juvenile delinquency system hadn't been able to deal with him. The Bible is saying what you do, this child has become a danger. This is not a sassy child. This is not a child that's talking back. This is a child that's become violent. It's going to hurt other people. And God says that person has to be dealt with. So sometimes we misjudge God's word because we don't stop to think through the ramifications when we think we have a better idea than God. You don't have a better idea than God. I don't have a better idea than God. We're not called to stone anybody, but our judicial system is responsible to protect our elderly. When you have an entire 
zip code in Detroit, when you have an entire zip code in Detroit that the police don't want to go into, the firefighters don't want to go into, the mail carriers don't want to go into, and that was a cover story in our Detroit newspapers. When you have an entire zip code like that, do you think the elderly or the children are safe in that zip code? Of course not. And so one of the ways you know that God is with a city is that the elderly and the children are safe there. Secondly, the children are playing in the city. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. Now, there will be a millennial kingdom. We're looking forward to the millennial kingdom. That's what we're doing here. We're looking forward to the millennial kingdom. And so unless you think Jesus is just going to be this soft, doe-eyed, soft-handed person, this is what the Bible says in Revelation 19 and 15. I think it's your outline. He will rule them with a what? An iron rod. What's he saying? He's saying, look, he's not going to be a softy, you know. But you don't fear the iron rod if you obey the law. When I drive down the highway and I'm driving the speed limit or I'm driving two miles over the speed limit, I'm not looking for state patrol. I'm not looking for the police. But if I'm driving the highway, and not that I would ever do this, and I'm going 80 miles an hour down the highway going to Georgia, I can promise you my, my, my eyes, if I was doing that, my eyes would be looking everywhere for those blue bubble gum machines, okay? Because I have reason to be afraid. You see, he will rule them with an iron rod. It's not that God is standing over people who love him. It's that God is protecting his people. Second thing we looked at last week, God blesses us abundantly to be a blessing to others. Yesterday, our staff, our pastoral staff met with a young missionary that we're trying to mentor and help get started in life. We talked to him about how to be a blessing himself. And you know, I share with him that Becky and I take a certain percentage of our income beyond our tithes and beyond our offerings that we do. And we have it set aside so we can respond quickly to a need. God has blessed us. And so if that need surfaces, we're able to respond to that quickly without having to go to our budget and say, can we do this? What we have learned is we've never been able to outgive God. God continually restores back into our lives. As a pastor, I have seen that over and over in people's lives who live generously. People who don't live generously, it doesn't matter how much money they make, they never have enough. That's including millionaires that I've known and including people that have lived on fixed incomes all their life. But the people who lived on fixed incomes are millionaires. They always have more than enough because one of the sources, and I'm having so many problems with this thing tonight, one of the sources that God says, if you are generous, I will continually bless you so that you can sow into other people's lives. I'll make you a symbol and a source of blessing. The fast were turned into festivals. God blesses us so that we can celebrate. Tonight, when this service is over, I'm going to ask you to go home tonight and maybe do your bedtime prayers a little different. Instead of asking God for something or even taking the growth work we're going to go over in just a few minutes and going, Lord, how can I apply this growth work? I'm just going to ask you to kneel by your bed or at your chair, wherever it is you do, lift your hands and enjoy the presence of God. 
That's what the festival was all about. It wasn't just enjoying one another's company. It was enjoying the presence of the Lord. And so I think sometimes we get so fixated on trying to do the right thing, live the right way, that we forget that God wants a relationship with us and he wants us to enjoy his presence. And God will bless us when we do that. I love this scripture, Zechariah 8, 15. I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah, so don't be afraid. Remember, we looked at in the book of Ephesians and Galatians how that we've inherited all these promises ourselves. Listen, are you, do you know God's determined to bless you? And when you walk in his ways and follow his paths, God promises to bless you. And then finally tonight, before we do the growth work, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Before I moved to Michigan a few years ago, I spent most of a week up at Emory University meeting with my doctors and surgeons and things. Those of you that know my story, I grew up disabled and there's some, I have some artificial organs that have been made for me out of my own flesh. And, and so I was meeting and, and going through some tests. I remember the doctor drawing out diagrams for me. And he says, we don't understand. You shouldn't be able to walk. You shouldn't be able to run. He gave me some tests to do. And because of those tests that I couldn't do, he says, that right there shows you don't even have the nerves in your legs to be able to do. And he knew I was a runner. After this last bout I went through when I came back from Asia, I went to heard the same thing from my surgeons again. Becky and I were recently talking about this and said, what do we do with this as I get older? How do I learn to begin to tell this story and apply this story to the next generation? Because if COVID revealed anything to us, there was a battle taking place between faith and science. I believe and trust good science, but I trust the God who gave us the laws of science more than I trust the people who are trying to interpret the laws of science. Because more than one physician has said to me, miracles don't happen. My own doctor, who I he's in heaven now, but I told you about who told me, he says, miracles don't happen. We don't believe. He, he told me, he says, I don't know any other way to explain it. You are a miracle. Nothing is impossible with God. We have to get that through our heads. And because we believe that, we don't live foolishly. We don't go around grabbing snakes. We don't go around trying to drink poison. We don't go around trying to tempt God. We just believe that God wants to bless us. So what we're looking at tonight is two things before we do the growth work. Sin is a serious issue. If you disobey God, the consequences of that are going to come upon you. If you obey God, the blessings of that will come upon you. All that he's doing here in this prophecy is saying, now if you remember chapter 7, he said in chapter 7, I was determined to discipline you because of your sins. And now that you've repented, I am determined to bless you. We understand that as parents. If we tell our children to do something, we bless them for it. If we tell our children we're not going to do something for them when they're supposed to, say, mow the yard or clean up their bedroom, and then we go ahead and do it for them anyway, we've just taught them there's no association between obedience and blessing. In the Bible, obedience is always the key to blessing. Sin is always the key to poverty and destruction. 
The reason God hates sin is because He loves you. The reason God hates sin is because He loves me. There's nothing that sin is going to do for me. Right now, certain people in Europe may feel powerless and certain other people may feel very powerful because of their missiles or their armies or their tanks. But there will be a payday. There will be a day of accounting and reckoning. And when Jesus died for us, when Jesus rose from the dead and when Jesus ascended back to the Father, he said to us, I have paid the penalty for your sin. I will bless your life if you will follow me. How do you know if you love the Lord? If you keep his commandments. None of us do it perfectly, but he sums it up for us easily when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We can do that. With the Holy Spirit's help, we can do that. And love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. One of my neighbors just, uh, I ran home this afternoon, and while I was there, one of my neighbors came over and offered to do something. It was just so kind. It's easy to love neighbors. I've got good neighbors. I've really got good neighbors. It's easy to love neighbors like that. Have you ever had any grouchy neighbors? Well, you didn't all have to nod your heads, but we've all had some grouchy neighbors in times past, but you're never going to win them by being grouchy. You love them, but you draw boundaries, don't you? Was it Will Rogers says that fences make good neighbors? You know, you draw boundaries. My dad, we had a neighbor way out in the country. My dad had a neighbor that really just kind of drove him bananas. And one day he said to me, I think I have figured out how to handle it. And he called the man's name out. I said, really? He says, I'm going to go offer to take care of that for him. And he said, I believe God's going to bless me for it. And I went, ho, 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 do I have to help? He goes, yes. <laughs> well, anyway, my dad did. He went to him and says, listen, I would like to help you. And he took over a certain piece of property you know, if you don't take care of your property, it affects your, you know, especially out in the country where you don't want certain animals consuming your crops. My dad took it over for him. My dad farmed it for him. My dad cultivated it, fertilized it for him. It sent the value of his property up, my dad's property up, and my dad made a lot of money off of taking care of that property for him. Now, here's my point. Dad could have cursed his neighbor but instead, dad made a friend out of his neighbor, and dad led that hellion, and that's what he was. He led that hellion to Christ. So these are the principles that we're seeing here in Zechariah chapter 8. So what do we do with this? Number one, be responsive. Be responsive. Sometimes bad things happen. We responded to COVID not by cursing COVID, but we responded to COVID by going online, by investing and sound equipment and cameras equipments. We went outside when it was still not safe to meet indoors and we had outdoor services. We encouraged people by trying to provide things for our families. We were running food. We were running children's curriculum. We were running youth curriculum. We were, our church just did so much. We were 
feeding people, putting food on their porches and their steps. I look back, Becky and I were talking about this last night. I look back on those, that year and a half when it was so intense. I say, Becky, I look back on that as one of the best seasons of ministry we've ever had at Woodland. And when everybody else was cursing it, it was a time and a season of blessing. Why? Because God's love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. I am convinced God is passionate about woodland, which means he's passionate about you because you are woodland. Zechariah 8, 9, be strong and finish the task. While other people were complaining, while other people, and pardon my friends here, were being whiny hineys about the whole thing, our congregation got strong and they finished the task. We had some folks, and they still join us online, we had some folks calling us and said, our church has canceled all services and they're not doing anything online. Can we join you? And so there are two churches that still join. We have over 100 people praying with us on Saturday nights. And that's because some people just simply gave up. Number two, be responsible. Be responsible. Now, look at Zechariah 8.13. Don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple. Now, the temple, we've already talked about that on several occasions in this message. And because we're limited on time tonight, let me just say, what is it you need to stop being afraid of? What is it you need to be strong about? And what is it you need to get on with the task of building? So when I read this verse of Scripture, I realize we're not being called to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. I realize that part of this is prophetic. It's pointing to the, to the millennial kingdom. But I do realize in the totality of this, Jesus is quoting this during his ministry. What has this got to do with me? What do I need to be strong about and get on with the task of finishing? Sometimes as a father and sometimes as a pastor, I have to remind myself when I've done the best that I can, I'm not always responsible for what has to be finished. Let me give you an example. Let's say you poured your heart and soul into raising your children, and your children are like the rebellious teenager that I talked about earlier. You don't want to stone them. You love them, okay? But if you keep bellowing them out when they get into trouble, if you keep bellowing them out, then you're only empowering them to become a drug addict. You're only empowering them to become a part of a gang. But if you allow the course and the consequences of their action to visit with them, then maybe nobody changes until the pain of what they're doing becomes greater than the cost of changing. But even if they don't change, and you've done your best to love them, to model for them, and teach them, you're not responsible for what they're doing with their life. Okay? Now, that's an important point to consider. You know who's responsible for them? God is. I say this sometimes to pastors when they talk to me and say, well, my church won't do this. My church. I say, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done this? And they go, yes, yes, yes. I said, then it's not your responsibility any longer. My responsibility is to teach the word. My responsibility is to preach the word. My responsibility is to model the word. My responsibility is to cast vision and raise up leaders. Once I've done that, it's up to the people who listen 
Are they going to always be hearing but never doing? Because faith is not just listening. Faith is listening and acting upon what you've been given. That's why we have growth work at the end of our messages. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Get on with rebuilding the temple. So tonight, ask yourself the question, what do I need to be strong about? What am I afraid of? What do I need to get victory over with? And then what do I need to finish in life? Becky and I, we're at that point in life right now where we're making lists. What do we need to finish? I'm in the fourth quarter. I know I'm in the fourth quarter. Some of you are in the fourth quarter tonight. Some of you are further along in the fourth quarter than I am tonight. I'm further along than some of you are. I know what I've got to finish to finish my life successfully. Yesterday, I walked through the cemetery, and I said to myself, these words, D, you're going to be, not in this cemetery, but you're going to be here one day sooner than you think. And then I said, and Lord, I still believe in the rapture, so come before I get here. <laughs> okay? Now, my point is, it's a reminder to me, I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. Be righteous. What does righteous mean? Righteous means you have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. Now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other, render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. My daddy drove a 65 Chevrolet pickup truck. It had a wooden bed in it. I wish that I still had it. It was a beautiful truck. It had a 283 eight-cylinder engine in it. And I remember that truck. But one thing about that truck, no matter how many pair, sets of brakes he put on that truck, it always squealed. And so when he was coming down the highway and he'd come around the curve in front of the Stokes Farm, he would always have to put his brakes on. And my sisters and I could hear the brake squealing. We knew daddy was almost home. We knew if there was something he had told us to do that wasn't finished yet, we better make sure it got done. And there were times when I could even see my mom jump up when she heard those brakes squeal. Tonight, in my spirit, I hear the sound of the trumpets. I know Christ is coming again. Everything is pointing to the return of Jesus. And the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. I don't feel, look at me, don't miss this. I don't feel rushed to finish this fourth quarter. I don't feel panicked about the fourth quarter. I'm not even worried about the fourth quarter. I'm just going to keep doing every single day what God has called me to do. And there are some days that I do better than I do on other days. There are some days when there are interruptions and when there's a death in the church, all of the plans, all of the appointments, they all have to get rescheduled because something takes priority. I don't sweat that. I get to what I can get to because I know who I'm working for. Jesus says, I'm returning. And he just then goes through this list of things. This is what you must do. Fourthly tonight, be refreshed. Be refreshed. There is no reason for any Christian to live burned out. No reason. I talk to people all the time, and they literally are. I understand they're burned out, especially young mothers. They're burned out. 
but there is a place of refreshing. I can't tell you how many dads I've told even in this congregation, there are dads here who will tell you, I said, the most godly thing you can do is to come home, pour your wife a hot bath, light a candle in the bathroom, take the kids, put her something cold to drink in there, and be sure she's got two hours all to herself. That's a godly thing to do because you're letting your wife be refreshed. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is not to pray intensely. It's just to sit in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in my life because you have to minister out of what God's put into you. I'm planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. If your heart is not peaceful, if you're not prospering spirit, soul, and body, you need to get before the Lord and let him do that. Finally, be a refresher yourself. They have drinks at Starbucks. I've never ordered one. I've taken people to Starbucks and they've ordered them. They're called refreshers. I think they have like strawberry refreshers or stuff like that, you know. They're called refreshers. So one day I went up to the barista while she was getting my coffee and I says, why do you call these refreshers? And she said, because we put caffeine in there. I go, oh, so people who don't like coffee, they get their caffeine in a sweet, sugary drink. Refresher. Well, what does caffeine do? It stimulates. What does caffeine do? It refreshes you. What is it about? Are you boring or are you stimulating? Ruth, you're definitely not boring. You walk into Baldo's and Ruth's going to greet you with a big hug. And you don't go into Baldo's thinking you're ever going to be incognito if Ruth is working. <laughs> She's going to refresh you. She's going to make you feel welcome. She's going to make you feel loved. I was having lunch with someone the other day and they were crying. And Ruth comes over and says, are you making them cry? I go, no, those are tears of joy. And you let, you find yourself when you are walking full of the Holy Spirit and when you're following God, you're not a drain on people. I was telling Becky one time, I said, honey, notice something about people. There are some people, they're always invited. They're always welcome because they bring encouragement and they bring life. They bring refreshing God says, I will make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. And then finally, believe. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnants of God's people, but it is impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me wrap this up right now. It may have seemed impossible, but listen, don't miss this. The peace of the world the prosperity of the world, the salvation of the world, the refresher of the world came out of this tiny group of people born in a tiny little town called Bethlehem. And he was crucified in Jerusalem and he rose again in Jerusalem and he ascended from Jerusalem. And he's brought us here to this place tonight. God will accomplish the impossible through you and me if we'll let him. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Jesus, I feel like I could just preach a series of messages right here from Zechariah chapter 8. Now as we prepare our hearts, Lord, just to kind of talk about this and apply this, I'm asking you, refresh us in your presence, for it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray.
Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. And uh, you can come back and find this later online. Listen to this. Go through this growth work. Listen to last week's message especially as well. God bless. Good night.